This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Buonasera, Wendy. It is me. It is Bardi. And our tactics guy, and a man whose voice I am not even going to attempt to replicate, is Nathan A. Clark. Sure. Um, so, as you will gather, I am recording separately to Nathan and Bardi. This is because I have moved house um, this past weekend, and... Uh, I've been let down by my broadband provider, who I'm not going to name on this week's podcast, but if they don't sort me out, I'm going to damn well name them next week. Um, I, I booked it weeks in advance, months in advance, and uh, there was a glitch in their system, apparently, and the order got cancelled the day before I moved, which uh, was a really useful addition to my massive list of stresses at the time. So I've got no broadband, can't really um, record with with the boys, so they are going to record without me, but I thought I'd better um, provide some sort of context for why I wasn't here. And also just give some thoughts on on the week at Spurs. Um, I'm, in amongst my move, I escaped to the pub for a couple of hours to watch the game with my friend Simon. Uh, shout out Simon, long-time listener. Um, and obviously was pleasantly surprised by by the victory against Chelsea, who uh, obviously had been going through a bit of a rough time under Graham Potter, who notoriously Nathan and I supported. And to be honest, I still support. I think he's a, a very good manager. Um, very uneventful and, I would say, uninspiring first half. Not a lot going on except for some feistiness I thought the referee had a very mixed game, but I did admire the fact that he did try and kind of let things go a bit. You know, it's a, it's a derby. Some of our matches against Chelsea have been notorious, especially the Battle of the Bridge, uh, for for feistiness. And the referee, I felt, was quite lenient uh, throughout the game, to be honest. The VAR thing was slightly farcical, but I don't know that that's necessarily on the referee. I think it's the nature of the... Um, the way VAR operates, that's the issue there. Um, so yes, not going, not much going on in the first half. Well, I thought we played all right. We, you know, we did a containing job. We, we packed out the middle, so we were letting them have um, set possession on the flanks and letting them send crosses in and then dealing with them as a unit quite well with Skip and Hoybier doing a really good job of, of mopping things up in the middle of midfield and sort of shuttling play, the play outside as well. Uh, Jao Felix got into space a few times, but we did quite well to manage those situations, I felt. And then obviously everything changed in the second half when Skip hit that fantastic strike. Uh, so happy for Skip to score his first Spurs goal. 
I strongly believe that Ollie Skip is technically far superior to most Spurs to 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 the way that most Spurs fans rate him. I think he is an underrated player. He's he's obviously very smart. You know, his his positioning's good. His reading of the game is really good. Uh, he does that thing that Nathan loves, which is he makes tackles into passes. Um, and I'm just really chuffed for him that now he's getting a bit of a run. He's starting to show what he can do. Um, and, and we've not yet missed Rodrigo Bentancourt, which is surprising and, and pleasing. Um, so, yes, he changed the nature of the game. It meant that we didn't need to then do much. And I think it's fair to say we didn't do much in, attack, in an attacking sense. Uh, aside from a few forays by uh, Kudosevsky, who I thought was much improved in this match, he kind of really um, had the beating of his man or multiple men on several occasions, which was really, really good to see. Uh, and then, obviously, we're brilliant from set pieces. So we, we got another set piece goal, and, and that was lovely as well. Um, Vio has really added something to to our goals for it's it's quite remarkable the impact he's had at Spurs so I don't know if we can read too much into this game overall I thought it was kind of a typical Spurs performance of this season but this time we actually won so that was that was really good Chelsea are a bit of a mess I don't think Potter knows what his best team is uh he's obviously instilling a positional play model that's different to their previous coaches and that's going to take some time they look quite risk averse at the moment and obviously their confidence is is really low so players aren't expressing themselves freely i think if potter's if potter's given time then he'll turn things around but the problem has been in the past at chelsea that managers don't get time whether that changes with the new regime who knows but uh, i guess we wait and see on that one but yes very pleasing result hopefully we can follow it up with a win against sheffield united in midweek and now I will leave you in the capable hands of my sidekick and best friend and our tactics guy. Hope you enjoy the rest of the pod. Thank you, Windy. Now, I don't know about you, buddy, but I fucking hate Chelsea, so I really enjoyed that game. I didn't realise, like, I know I hate Chelsea, but I really hated them on Sunday. I was, I was chatting to a few people before the game, like, hating West Ham, hating Chelsea. I don't really hate West Ham. I don't like losing to them. But I really, sure. really hated Chelsea on Sunday. There was just mm. something about them that really got under my skin. I've always, before Chelsea, this is like a, a confession. So before, yeah. <laughs> before Abramovich and everything else like that, when Chelsea was with Hoddle and Hullet, Bialy, and Spurs were really bad in that kind of mid-90s, I was looking at Chelsea okay. going, holy shit, you know, why can't Spurs be be signing Bialy <laughs> and Hullet and be that kind of club? And there was like a moment of of almost like regret that I didn't support that. But that was so long ago. And on Sunday, yeah, I hated them. Enzo Fernandez, I, I kind of like Enzo, but I wanted him. Mm. I wanted both his knees to explode on Sunday. <laughs> well, we didn't get exploding knees, but we did get. Um, was this the first win against Chelsea in the new stadium? Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's, it's the first Premier League goals we've scored against them in the new stadium. Christ. I mean, that is... Um... The fact that that is the case at all is, is pretty bad, but very glad to have that monkey off the back. So the lineup was unchanged from from last week. How did you feel about that when that came out? I was all right with it. Um, I was concerned that perhaps Ben Davies and Emerson Royale wouldn't be able to repeat the same trick and they mm. might get found out here. But on the whole, I, I, was, I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, I definitely, I had some significant reservations about it um, for, for facing West Ham because um, I knew that we would face like a low block and I thought that Davies and, and Royale would struggle with the task of, of being creative outlets from out wide, um, which I think was true in the first half and then things changed in the second half. And then for this game, it's like, well, Chelsea are going to come out for the, for the most part, right? So it's more of an up and down game. It's more of a game where we have to be defensively switched on. So sort of wasn't as concerned. Um, I did do sort of like a taking the piss, uh, you know, Enoch out tweet because we didn't buy a right back in January joke, but that that wasn't a sincere <laughs> complaint. I mean, we are we are now getting towards the end of February. Um, hardly seen Poro, hardly seen Dan Juma. Any any thoughts on on? those at all yet or is that too early to get up too upset about it i think it's too early i was when chelsea lined up and i saw james and chilwell i was like oof that's two those two fullbacks can cause us some problems and i was really worried about james because he's he's an exceptional footballer mm. but he he didn't look right and chilwell chilwell was really upset the whole game he was in a bad mood the whole match and um 
but yeah, they they, they weren't able to they weren't able to hurt us. I don't think it's a problem not having seen Poro. Yeah, I would like to see him play, but I do think and we'll talk a bit about Emerson. But I do think there is some things Emerson's doing mm. exceptional at the moment. So I, I don't think I still don't think he's perfect, but I, he was exceptional in his own half yesterday. I haven't seen him. Um, he was probably the best I've seen him in his own half. It's probably why Shilwell was so upset. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, Richarlison starting over Sun. So um, the other day, Stellini in the press has said, oh, Sun was was rested because he's he's struggling a little with fitness and we want to keep him fresh. And I thought, oh, okay, that means that that one game was a one-off and that we wouldn't see Richarlison start again. But we saw Richarlison start again. So that makes that quote a bit mysterious. Um but yeah, I'm 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 quite into this. I'm quite into Richarlison starting, having a few fights, mm. getting up in their grill, pressing, and then Sun coming on against fresh legs. So that was really nice. But the um, he's a proper hammer, isn't he? He's like if you yeah. if you get in a, like a, a chicken a scallop and you smack it with a tenderizer, that's kind, <laughs> that's kind of what Richarlison is at the moment. He he gets yeah. he puts it about. He he winds them up. I think his touch was a little bit off, but then he combined really nicely with Hjoibier when when um, my favourite guy hit the hit the post. So there, <laughs> there was some nice link up play, and he did he did run the channels pretty good. But sometimes his touch does let him down occasionally. Sure, but like it's better than Suns. Yeah. <laughs> <No weird. laughs> yeah. So yeah, the first half, uh, not not a lot of football happened. Um, we sat off Chelsea a fair bit, I think. Um, made sure that they couldn't um get inside, invited them out to their to their wide players, but made sure we didn't get doubled up on. Pair of fairly defensive wing backs helped us out in that, and outside of that, Chelsea were were easy to keep quiet. At the same time, we didn't offer a ton on the counter attack. We got a handful of breaks, but weren't weren't very fruitful of them. Mm. Um, so putting aside the VAR call just for now, how are you feeling getting towards the end of the first half in the, in the stadium? I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. The crowd were a little bit restless because the first 10 minutes was pretty was pretty intense. Chelsea looked good. Sterling was causing problems. Jao Felix looked, looked lovely. But then mm. after that, it kind of turned our way. And I, there's something I wanted to ask you about because I had this discussion with a few people after the game regarding Eric Dyer. And um, I thought he played pretty good against, um, against Chelsea. I thought he was solid. I okay. thought he struggled against West Ham. He really struggled against Leicester. But then he was great against Man City. Have we have we approached a point now with Eric Dyer that when he has like a, an opponent number nine that he has to follow around or try and win duels with, he struggles. But when we're playing against a team that has no out-and-out striker like Chelsea, like Man City, and he doesn't have like a set responsibility other than just occupy space, he that's where he's, he, he excels. And yeah, so, so against City, it was Ben Davies maybe and Romero going on Alvarez and Haaland and leaving yeah. Dyer just free to kind of do what Dyer does. Well, Dyer was stepping up to silver in that game, like really high, really aggressive. Um, but yeah, I do wonder if there's something in that. So Chelsea um, were using Havertz as their centre forward, mm. um, who is sort of a bit of a nine, sort of a bit of a ten in between type player. Um, you know, not not the traditional centre forward, certainly not a hugely physically imposing player. So there's a couple of things here. I wonder if um, I wonder if having a significant physical advantage is very helpful for Dyer if he can bully um Silver, if mm. he can bully Havertz, if he can if he knows that he's winning any physical duel against the player he's up against, if that gives him a confidence boost or if it just allows him to play his game. Or maybe if it's less that and it's more a simplification of his task, Eric this is the player you need to look after in this game. And he has, you know, he's not checking his shoulders half as often and, and, and being a dog chasing his own tail, that sort of thing. Um, because yeah, especially more so in the second half, which we'll come to in a bit, but um, the centre backs were pretty aggressive on the, on the front three again. And like, again, like we saw against city. Um, so yeah, maybe there's a thing there. Maybe Mary, maybe Eric Dyer is turning into a, a big game <laughs> specialist player just because of the type of, uh, setup that we approach and the type of um, uh, profile of forwards that we come up against. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, because I think Ian Nacho gave him a real, gave him a torrid time. And, um, but it didn't really happen against Chelsea. Havertz is a, is a strange one. He, he could, he looks like he's got everything 
to be a great player, but he just doesn't doesn't suit doesn't suit. I don't know modern football. Perhaps there's an issue there. But anyway, fuck Havertz. He did do one nice shoulder pass though, which was pretty cool. All right. So end of the second half. You're in the stands. Mm. Um, there's uh, there's already been a little bit of pushing and shoving going around. Romero's obviously loving that and getting into it. And then um, what? How do we phrase it? Ziyech, uh pushes Emerson Royale in the face. Mm. And gets a red card. Um, you celebrating? Yeah, of course. Giving a good old wave off. We, where I was, I had no idea what happened. We just saw okay. that because we couldn't, can't see the, can't see the fisticuffs, can't see the slap, and it was just, it was just a melee. And at that point, you just go full tribal. You don't know who's to, who's to blame, but it's them. <laughs> this, this doesn't fuck them all. It doesn't matter what they could have done. They could have done something really bad, like a hate crime, but you're still Tottenham because you have no idea what's going on. So you're, <laughs> you're fully back in Tottenham players. Well, we'll come on to hate crimes later. Yeah. <laughs> so you're fully back in Tottenham. So everyone in Chelsea is incorrect, and the referee is even more incorrect. Yeah. So when the red card comes out, it was great. It was brilliant. Um, perhaps it would have changed the game, like, and it wouldn't have suited us Chelsea going all. I think yeah. that there's a case for that yeah. for sure. That if if Chelsea bunkered in with ten men, that yeah. the game ends nil nil. Because I think, I think that's possible. Yeah, because we saw the yellow, and then we saw the red, and then he went to check the VAR monitor. So we were convinced that Emerson's yellow was going to be turned into a red as well. Ah, uh, upgraded. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we thought. Everyone around me thought, okay, that's it. Emerson's done. 10 v 10. Yeah, 10 v 10. Um, but it wasn't. To see him downgrade a card he'd already upgraded was weird and confusing, to say the least. I bet. I bet. I mean, it, it was confusing watching it at, at home. So I can I can barely imagine how confusing it must have been in the stands. Because again, um, for me, number one complaint with VAR, after how much time it takes, mm. Is is the lack of clarity for fans in the stand? Yeah, um, got to be got to be better communication there in in basically every case. Like even the most seamless ones that are you know very agreeable decisions still aren't being communicated you know well enough or fast enough. So. Um, my impression, I mean, imagine most listeners were probably watching on Sky or NBC. I was watching some dodgy stream. So I don't I don't know who my commentators were. So I don't know what people were saying. And I didn't watch Match of the Day. But match, of the my day impression, match of the Day okay. seems to suggest that the it it was it could have been a red but it was all right to, that it was a yellow <laughs> wow what a helpful non <laughs> contribution so the the impression i got was that ziesh had tried to push emerson on the chest and accidentally missed and hit his face no that's that's not what i don't i've never had a brother but i can imagine if i had a little brother and i smacked him around the head and i got told off by my parents that's the line i would use which is not that's not an acceptable defense <laughs> well that i think that that is i think that that is why it wasn't a red i think that's why it wasn't given a red because it was it wasn't in a deliberate slap it was an accidental he missed from range mm. which is a very zh thing to do i mean marshall got was it marshall who got sent off for doing something similar to lamella at old trafford oh, yeah was at the 6-1 game so um it could easily have been a red i did see one excuse saying emerson's push aggravated him into doing it so therefore it shouldn't it was count a, but that's it was a hard shoulder barge in the back you know yeah. it, it was definitely a worthy yellow i mean the thing is like we've we've come up with this um this very unwritten rule in football that if you ever touch anyone's face mm. That's an instant red card. But that's not actually what the rules say. And it also doesn't really reflect reality, right? Getting a hard um, shoulder in the back from behind, knocking you off balance, is definitely every bit in reality as violent as a touch on the face, right? Yeah. But that's not how that's not how we've built our understanding of of, of football ruling. They got so away with it again. Silly. Do you remember when Torres mm. scratched um, Vertonghen's face? Back Still in... angry at him for yeah. it. Yeah. So they got away with another one, Chelsea. That's what they did. Mm, I think so. I think so. Okay. All right. That's that's much longer than we normally spend on refereeing calls, but I thought this one was kind of interesting I for did, the confusion. I did think as I was walking the dog this morning whether or not we would talk about it because we do seem to avoid... Um, in Italian, they call it polemicas and they, they'll do the moviola, which is the they just do the rewind backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards a hundred yeah. times. Yeah, man. I think I think most of the time it's boring. Like so so last week we had the handball with West Ham. Mm. And again that takes a lot of 
of focus and attention yeah. to most fans but i just don't think it's that interesting to talk about whereas this was sort of more interesting because it was confusing yeah. so that's why i'm um, again I, i'm not you know i'm not interested in talking about a, a refereeing conspiracy against spurs or or anything like that um whatever okay all right second half um immediately we come out we're pressing them much higher much harder um emerson royale gets a shot in the box I look away <laughs> because the, the Chelsea seem to claim it. Uh, second ball drops outside the box and Skip scores an absolute banger. Now I was um, I, I was walking up the stairs. Um, I could see <laughs> I could see Spurs t- uh, kicking off. So I was just like, oh, how can I still have missed it? I'm not even drinking. How can I still have missed the start of the second half? So as I'm walking up the stairs, Spurs kick off, and at one point I have to turn my back to the game. And as I turn my back to the game, everybody got excited. So I had to, I, then I turned around, and it was um, Kuliseski doing his lovely spin and setting Emerson through. Then Emerson misses, and I go, oh, okay, fine, missed it. So I keep I looked away. Yeah, I keep <laughs> marching up. And then all of a sudden, someone goes, go on, hit it. <laughs> As, I <turn> around, <laughs> As I turn around, I just see the ball traveling like towards me because I was in the direct line of it. And it just pings off the post. It pings off the bar and goes in. I didn't know it was Skip. I just saw it as I kind of turned around. I knew some. You could just feel something was happening. Uh, but loads of people, loads of people today will be talking about that goal, and they would have missed mm. it because the stadium was pretty empty. The, oh, really? Yeah, the lower tier was was full up. The proper coys down there, they that was full up. But East Stand, West Stand, and even some of the South Stand where I was, it was pretty empty. A lot, a lot of people missed it. It'll be one of those that in ten years his time they'll be like oh i was there the day skippy scored his first goal he's like no you were, you were, you were downstairs having a pint <laughs> but it was um beautiful hit beautiful goal kepper mm. should have done better but it was it was nice to be there for for that moment i mean I, yeah I, I, so both of us missed it as it happened i managed to catch a couple of replays obviously um yeah really lovely hit he um he did an interview with uh ben haynes on um spurs play mm. he also i caught I did actually catch um, a bit of um, on on replay the match of the day interview. He gave very similar answers in both interviews. Bless him. He talked about how he didn't actually hit the ball how he wanted to. It looks to me, based on what he's saying, is that he wanted he wanted to catch it um, on the inside of his laces so that it would have gone over to the far side and dipped into the far post. Mm. Um, but he's caught it very very slightly outside of the boot. And it's gone basically in a straight line, but Kepper's kind of fluffed it a little bit, caught off guard by a shot that's straight at him and can't can't t- can't tip it over. That's just pure innocence from Skippy. No one needs to know that he didn't catch it. How- Bless him. Like Kane, Kane has scuffed a lot of goals and scuffed a lot of penalties, but he's never doesn't really come out that often and say I didn't catch it as sweet as I want to. It doesn't matter, mm. Skippy. You 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 saw it. You had the tenacity to win the ball. Don't barge a hundred million pound Jal Felix off the ball and then smack yep. it into smack it into the top of the net from in front of the south stand. It was like there's certain individuals who get to score these incredible debut goals. Danny Rose, Skip. Most of the time, they, you can't write a better script than that. So own it. He needs to own it because it's um, yeah. it's a lovely goal to have as your first. So in those in in those post match interviews, talking about that goal, he also spoke about how recently Spurs have been really focusing on second balls, um, which is which is something obviously I've talked about a lot recently. So very interesting if that is something that has been recognised recently within within the coaching within the analysis, and that's something they've worked on over the last few weeks. Um, and if that might explain a you know a bit of a recent upturn in results over the last um, few matches, Leicester game aside. I mean, we were winning a lot of second balls. We were we pressing were. not all the time, but when we did press, it was pretty effective. I don't, I couldn't figure out what the trigger was, um, but yeah, it was it was some good pressing, and we do do it occasionally. I I, I haven't figured out yet what the trigger is for Spurs to go press, and most of the time, Hjoibert does it. He he kind of waddles up and and mm. gets involved as well. Yeah, so um, this is definitely relevant in the West Ham game. And we also saw it a couple of weeks back against Palace. Um, it's something that I noticed City, or someone else, sorry, noticed that City set up to prevent is playing big, long, lofted clearances, basically, from the centre-backs when the opposition come to press. Um, and that was definitely relevant um, in 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 this game again. Um, is that's not the exact situation that led to the loose ball for Skiffy, but mm. but you know if you're practicing those kind of situations, so we're getting a situation where we're 
when we try to build up from the back, we get turned over, whether that's a fast attack or a slow attack. And then because we've got so many players committed forwards um, and also maybe because we're playing a midfield two and also maybe because there's been a fitness thing that I don't want to go into a big time right now, um, we're losing out in the second ball and our attacks are petering out repeatedly. And so with this trend of, of you know, hoofing the ball <laughs> into the heavens, um, we're putting it down on their centre-backs and that's where we've got our forwards. Mm. That's where, for now, an hour of a match, you've got Richarlison. That's where we've got our wing-backs pushing up onto now our more sort of defensive wing-backs who are more about, you know, getting stuck in, getting into that area. And we're winning our second balls um, not only more successfully, but higher up the pitch um, in the process. So that is definitely an interesting trend for Skippy to have, have touched on, to have mentioned is something that they've been working on recently. Uh Yeah. It's also, um, it's quite incredible, right, that we're playing three centre-backs and then essentially two defensive wing-backs and getting results. I just, I can't imagine what would be happening right now with our, with our fan base if we weren't getting results by playing five defenders across, across the back line. Well, I, I was preemptively angry before the West Ham <laughs> game at our lineup. So, yeah, no, 100%. And I do think that, like, you know, um, we are going to have a game in the near future where this is not an appropriate lineup. And we made it work against West Ham um, because we really put it onto them in the first half, not in terms of what we actually created mm. in terms of shots, but in terms of, of dominating the match. Um, and so they came out in the second half and that allowed us to, to take advantage of the open space. But if we're in a game in the near future, and you can imagine because it's been the trend of the season where we go behind first and then the opposition can bunker in, that back five may well be a problem for us. But, but then you change it up, no? Then you, then you yeah. can change it up. You can bring Poro on, exactly. sure. So, yeah, um, in terms of first half, second half changes, right? That um, So, yeah, again, that West Ham game. I mentioned the West Ham game so much. It's strange. Um, I wonder if, um, if David Moyes had cottoned on to our trend of having the intensity for one half of football figured that we were spent after going hard in the first half and thinking that they could then take advantage of it if they came out in the second half and that's actually where um they they uh, became vulnerable then in this Chelsea game okay yeah okay a bit bit quiet in the first half um and then maybe us buoyed on by the fact that we were able to keep Chelsea very quiet in the first half thought right let's go put it into them in the second half and we and we did that um I mean, yeah, they they were there for the taking. To be honest, um, we showed that. But yeah, uh, still, still some some remnants of the first half, second half differences in intensity, but um, a lot less extreme than we were seeing beforehand. Definitely something to keep an eye on. I was quietly confident at halftime. I thought yeah. we'd I thought we'd played all right. I thought the game. I thought we'd kept them at bay. And if that was our poor half, I was I was I was confident we could get them in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm with you. I think um, like in a lot of ways, that's the game that we've been trying to have for a lot of the season, right? Quiet first half, you know, soak up pressure, keep the opposition quiet. Let's go get them in the second half, and then run up the scoreline, and and they'll have to overcommit. That's kind of what we've been going for, but we've been conceding in the first half. This time, we managed to really close the opposition out. Um, how much of that is us being sharp and up for it and well prepared? Now, how much of that is the uh, Pots Chelsea just look really, really blunt? Uh, Sun Renity asks, is Graham Potter a fraud? I think what he did here, uh, Potter, he went like old school Tuchel. He basically played the Tuchel team, apart from Enzo, that has beaten us a good few times. Yeah. And he tried to play that card. And that is a manager who's lost his way, who's lost faith in his own plan. We always talk about Conte doesn't have a plan B, Pochettino doesn't have a plan B. It's because they don't. These managers, they have one style of football and that's what they play. All of a sudden, Potter has become this guy who's searching around for, for an identity. Um, our friend John McKenzie did a video on this about how Potter going back to basics or changing things up to try and get the most out of um, Chelsea again. And I asked the question, what's better, a manager that refuses to budge or a manager that's now become a bit of everything and a, at the same time nothing? And it turns out that we were right to stick with Conte's style of play because Potter looks lost. He he does look like a manager who doesn't know what he's doing. And people keep saying that Arteta thing and give him time, trust the process. But Arteta, at least, he had a, a system and a style that he was trying to implement. Potter's, he's lost, my friend. He's totally lost. Yeah, that... um. That coach who compromises is uh, 
is really a trend for Chelsea. I think if you like the the you know Chelsea have had their success under under Mourinho, um, under Ancelotti, kinda under Avram Grant, well, under Di Matteo. He did do a double. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, whereas um, every time they you know Vs Boas project manager possession forward thinking football um they don't buy into him at all it doesn't work out vsbos is a broken man and then we hire him <laughs> right um sorry sarri, yeah. yeah so well, in fact well sarri follows conte and conte is sort of a marriage between the two right he's doing short passing technical football but he's delivering it through cones he's delivering it through automations he's old school in some other way he's an intense man manager all of the things that we know about Conte and that we're experiencing firsthand it, that's sort of the compromise that's halfway mm. right you've got some sort of ideas of what he wants to see or a lot of hard ideas of what he wants to do in, in possession but it's it's not um sort of typical modern football Sarri a little bit further along towards uh, modern technical possession football doesn't really quite work for him right Tuchel his Dortmund were incredible. Do you remember when we played his Dortmund? Yeah, yeah. An out, outrageous team. His Chelsea, like, I mean, literally he wins the Champions League and it's hard to say, call him a failure when he wins the Champions League. But again, he compromised massively on the way he wanted to play football. Mm. He, he, he played a sort of comically defensive um, interpretation of his own game. And then here's Graham Potter. Um, again, he tried to play his football when he first came in, wasn't working out. Now he's playing back to basics and then just not offering much in the way of a threat. There is something about Chelsea that is that is opposed to forward-thinking, modern possession-based football. And it feels like it's the turnover of players, right? Why are you going to buy in to what Graham Potter has to say yeah. if if they're going to have a new coach, if, they, if there's going to be a huge turnover in the squad? Um, it just feels like that the, the Chelsea are going to just continuously drift further and further away from modern football. It becomes more necessary to to hire coaches who aren't Jose Mourinho. <laughs> you know? Do you think um do you think Chelsea keep hiring the managers that we should we should hire, but keep giving them the players? It's like it's almost like if you'd give Conte, if you give Chelsea's team to Conte, they win the league. Yeah. But they they got Potter, whereas we've got a Potter team and we put Conte. Yeah. It's almost like just hundred percent, man. And I think that's probably why we keep going for Chelsea managers as well because there's is that there's almost like a halfway place between Spurs and and Chelsea. I think if Chelsea had hired Zidane, it would have been better for them than hiring Potter. I I agree. Yeah. I agree. This so yeah. I mean, all of this is basically for me to say I don't really think it's Graham Potter's fault. Mm. But also, while we're at it, that doesn't mean that I want Graham Potter for for Spurs yeah. ever. I th- I just I I'm sick of being the club who hire former Chelsea managers. And as much as I think Graham Potter's a really good coaching talent. Mm. Um, and as much as I don't think what's going on at Chelsea is really his fault, although he hasn't fixed it himself, I, d- I, d- I just don't want any more former Chelsea coaches. Yeah. They're all they're all they're all horribly tainted. Because I, I know where this question from some minutes come from. Because occasionally we we DM each other, and um... okay, because you're the same person, <laughs> yeah. And I know that he's he's pro Conte as well. Like I like I have to support Conte because I have Italian blood. So um, yeah, I can see where he's angled this question. Is he a fraud? Probably not. Is he at the wrong? Is he at the wrong club? One hundred percent, he's at the wrong club. All right. So late in the game, um, two subs. Sun comes on. What after? Is it what time does he come on? Let's have. A comes look. on late. It's um, people, very late. People yeah. are getting seventy nine minutes. Yeah, people are getting itchy around me, wanting Sun to come on. Yeah, I was. I was getting itchy at home. I wanted him on, you know, before 70, to be honest. Um, too late in the game, you think? Um, I wasn't itching for him to come on. I thought our front three were playing pretty good. Richarlison was still offering something. Kulisewski yeah. was offering something. I wouldn't have swapped them just for the sake of putting Sun on, which is why I guess he took off Kulisewski. Maybe he was a bit more tired. I just felt like um, the game was opening up more and more. Um, that one goal lead that we had was becoming more to advantage, and we were getting more more opportunities for faster breaks. And that's where Sun is 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 lethal. And that's where you get the best advantage of him. Um, I'm going to talk about him in a little bit as well. Some more Sun. 
um, does get the what's the term the the hockey assist the second assist mm. uh, for the corner. Um, we did that same routine again where we ping it to a big guy at the near post who sends it on to Kane at the far post. We just keep getting away with it. <laughs> corners corners are really this unexploited as an opportunity in football and, and we're one of the teams now who are actually doing it properly. You can just keep rolling out this same corner again and again and it's going to result in a, in a bunch of goals. <laughs> as much as people spend like millions and millions on a forward, you can just do this. It's difficult to stop though because that... First of all, the the cross, the the corner has to be spot on. It's a really good corner. So it's a really good corner. Then you've got to win that first header. And then that header's got to sail goalwards or towards the back post. And then you need Kane to have read all of it, lost his man, and then tap it in and be be able to react as fast as he did. Because it's a tap-in and the tap-in merchant crew will say, oh, another one. (laughs) But it was behind him, man. It was behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was good good hip work. And I'm not going to start, I'm not going to paint a picture over it and essentially a tap-in. But it was was a goal which was more difficult to to score than it it looked. And it was a whole move which was pulled off beautifully. And it was... um, yeah, it wasn't a simple goal, but it was it was really effective and, and nice. Good timing. Yeah. Could really do one of one of these against Milan. Yeah. Coming up. Um and then last sub, well, second of, you know, five possible subs, <laughs> uh Pedro Poro comes on. So it it was Kulusevsky who went off for Sun, mm. um, which gives us quite a a disbalanced front line in my opinion but Kulusevski better better game from him looking like he's 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 shrugging off his injury finally yeah he was excellent he was he was good all game um, strong gets his bum into the Chelsea players he was <laughs> he was really he was really hippie and really good still don't think he's 100% but maybe that's just the extremely high bar that he's set himself um, yeah. over the far, first 12 months of his, his career maybe that's that's harsh to judge him by so Poro comes on for Richarlison um, and plays as a forwards, which is something that we saw from Spence before as well. It's just, I mean, it's just like got to get him in the team. Got to get. He needs to have a, a debut. Let's let's just stick him up front. Yeah, mm. yeah. He's well. He's got a win under his yeah. belt for for Spurs now. Well, because um, oh, Enzo's man. never won a game for Chelsea, has he? So, oh, is that true? There's a few. The Murdoch as well. They've never. They've not won a game yet. So I guess it's good to get that. Uh, get it off his back. You know, a World Cup winning. Yeah. Uh, multi, you know, hundred million pound worth. Um, man in his young twenties, not one again for his <laughs> club. All right, one last question before mm. we take a break. Arnie, you like this question? Arnie asks on the Discord: Is Forster's calmness more important to Spurs than Larice's shot stopping ability? This is one hundred percent. I am totally team Forster for this. I think. I think what you lose. From um, what you lose with Fraser is that, yes he can be a bit slow getting down. I mean he's six foot seven. He's massive. It does take just it just takes time for a body to drop like that. But I do think his calmness on the ball, his kicking ability. He he pings some off his left foot and right foot yesterday, and just his size. I think he's much more imposing on corners. I do just think the fact that he's an average to decent goalkeeper across the board just right now is kind of where what we need for a team that's playing five defenders and not looking to concede first. Fraser's the right goalkeeper right now. He um so in the first match he took over from uh from Reese what game was it? Can you remember? Was it Leicester? It was Leicester. He he looked really slow and uncomfortable to get down. Leicester put their shots in the bottom corners mm-hmm. and that just looked like an area that Forster couldn't get to. And yeah, maybe maybe you just needed a couple of games to get get sharp, you know. If you've been on the bench for, for months, but getting up to, to match sharpness, maybe that takes a while. Definitely interested to see how he deals with with low hard shots um, over the next few months. Um, but feeling feeling quite a bit better. I think so. Um, definitely. The truth is, if you've got James Madison pinging one into the bottom corner, very few goalkeepers are going to save it anyway. Sure. And if you're giving Iheanacho and Madison time to square up and do with that, most of the time they, <laughs> they, they're going to score. But I just think right now his ability to make a mistake is his his, his his kind of tendency to make a mistake is a lot less lower than it was to Lloris before he got injured alright ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So for 2023, we have partnered with Athletic Greens. I am now contractually obligated to hand over to Bardi. I started taking AG1 because my health is important to me and I'd like to know what I'm doing and what I'm taking. Nathan, you know tactics. Can you tell me what Chelsea's transfer policy is? Buy all the players. Exactly. They're lost in a maze of their own making. They don't know where to put one thing, stick the other, whether to swallow, stir or shake. That's not Spurs or me. Spurs reach for one of their own, Harry Kane or Oli Oli Skip. I reach for one scoop or one sachet of AG1. There's no pill boxes or multiple supplements. Be more precise. Be more focused. Just do one supplement and not 100 from all over the place. In 2020, AG purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforests. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash the extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash extra inch. Did I say the first time? It's not the. Don't say the. It's extra inch. (laughs) To take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so um, last night, Bardi, I haven't told anyone this yet. Mm. Last night, I recorded a video about Sun that took me nearly two hours to record. And it's going to take me a lot longer to edit it down. So that's probably going to be out <laughs> sometime in the next few days. Nice. Um, but it's it's a bit of a slog uh, for my end. Hopefully it'll be a little, little lighter, a little bit breezier on your end. But to be honest, it's a heavy video. I um I took a big look into the the conversation about whether Perisic is negatively affecting Sun's game. Um so yes, hopefully that's going to be with you soon. Okay, I was I was I was talking to someone on the tube coming back from West Ham and um he quite respectfully said to me, "Don't listen to the extra inch." But I reckon <laughs> Perisic is affecting Sun and I went, "That's interesting because if you did listen to the extra inch, you would know that's something we've been talking about for for a while." So I'm I'm very curious to see to see what your take is on this. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's it's um I say this in the video but it's it seems to be a growing uh conversation piece. I saw it weeks ago i think started on on the spurs subreddit and it, it's spreading it's, it's getting about the place the the koreans are bought into it because you know it, it saves their boy um i saw i saw a youtuber mention it or something so yeah um yeah i i've i've said on this on this podcast why i'm dubious about it and we get into why that is and then we we examine it under a microscope a lot so yeah hopefully that'll be with you soon uh, Buddy, um, Stellini is now four for four with Spurs. He's seven for seven in his career. Um, to my eye, not only are we getting results when Stellini's on the touchline, but we seem to be uh, pressing higher. We seem to be pushing harder. We seem to be fresher, fitter, more fight, more passion. Yeah, you know the things that I'm all about. Don't be like, don't um, be like this. I can see you smiling. <laughs> I can see you smiling. Because the, when the day comes that Nathan says there's more passion in the team because of, because of the, you know you're 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 trolling me. So he uh, he said uh, he said the Spurs players they're like teenagers who've matured. He says that they're taking more responsibility um, with uh, without Conte around. Do you think that there could be there could be a a quiet upside to Conte being in a different country? No, I don't think so. A lot of people like to say told me this at full time that perhaps we should just bin off Conte forever and just mm. and just hire Stellini. First of all, I don't think that's true. I think I still think this team is playing Conte football. I don't think there's been any massive change in how we're playing to go. Oh, hello, we weren't we weren't doing that before. I think what's happened is players are playing better. Perhaps they are taking more responsibility. But even that, even that that sentence of words, those, that construction of words, that is such a Conteism. That's that came straight from him. So I think the team is still playing Conte football. 
It's just we've arrived at a point now where, fortunately, all the good players have started to play better and are taking more responsibility. Dyer's not fucking up. Romero has been playing exceptional. The last few games is probably the best football he's played for Tottenham since he arrived. Mm. So I think there's been a, a general uptick across the board. Kuliseski, Kane, um, Bacharlison, Skip, Hjoibier. And so there's been there's been a general turnaround. Is that to do because Conte's not there? I don't know, man. I don't know if we could. I don't know if we could go with that. I still think this is Conte football. It's definitely Conte football. Mm. It's 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 completely the tactical fingerprints of, of Conte's football. Stellini has repeated again and again that like Conte is still extremely hands on. Lots of conversation back and forth, down to like the subs that are made on the bench in the game. All those kinds of things. It's very very clear that this is this is Conte ball head to. And yet the the results and, in my opinion, the level of performance is better. Do you think, would you be willing to, to visit this topic of conversation if, when Conte comes back in, performances and results drop off again? <laughs> I mean... It, it would be mad, wouldn't it, if um if Conte would come, be mad. if Conte comes back for Sheffield United or Wolves and then we lose, and then it's mm. just like okay, um but I still you know I'm very happy that we won our last two games. I'm very happy at how we're playing, but I still don't think we're at the highs of where we were at towards the end of last season. I agree. I think things are working better for us, and I've I've said before I think top. Conte's Tottenham is a team that just continues to repeat, 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 repeat and eventually things start working for them and when it clicks, it clicks really good and they go on a run. But historically man, that's what Conte's teams have always done they've continued to knock on the door for, for a month and it's been terrible results have been awful, performances have been awful but then all of a sudden, boom, it happens he finds a balance, Ericsson comes in because someone's injured and all of a sudden the team go on a run and they win the league. So perhaps that's what we're seeing right now. This is one of Conte's runs. Uh, Daniel Levy got a pay rise. I mean, you've got to admire this guy. Like, <laughs> go on. He's gone. He's just gone. I'm going to have half a mil extra, extra money. That's nice little yeah. cool 0.5. <laughs> why not? I mean, he's got to pay those noise cancelling. He's got to pay for those noise cancelling headphones. <laughs> he's just, he's, he's just got some bravado. I, I have a um, Rabin who probably listens because he likes to slide into my into my WhatsApps with with links and stuff like that. He sent me a, he sent me the link to this article. He's just like, what do you reckon about this body? And I was just like, I don't know. I, I kind of admire the balls on him just to go out and do that. You know. So he's is he he was for a while the highest paid chairman. I feel like he got usurped by someone else. I can't remember who. Sorry, I'm all over the place with that. But um, yeah, some. Uh, I mean, it helps that we just won, right? Mm. <laughs> um, do you feel do you feel he's earned a pay rise? I guess is is sort of the fundamental question. I mean, he's probably in line with inflation. He probably does. Sure. Yeah. If cost of living, cost of living hurts everybody. Even if you're a multi, <laughs> even if you're a multi-millionaire, you're you've got more electricity, mm. you've got more rooms to to heat. Um. So probably it might even just be in line with general inflation. Do I think it's a good thing? I, I mean, the rich are always going to keep getting richer. Do I think that it's, it's, it's just bad timing, Levy? Just wait till the summer. You could have, if Spurs got to the Champions League, uh, finished fourth, won a cup, give yourself a pay rise and no one's going to bat an eyelid, but don't do it after a, a transfer window where we just bought one player on loan. Well, what if we fall out of cup competitions and then on the final day of the season we drop down to fifth or whatever? Then does he not give himself a rise? Uh, probably not. Everybody's got performance-related pay, no? True. Yeah. True. It's just, it's just. I hate this word, but I'm going to say it. It's the optics, Nate. Mm. I said, I just, I'm excited for succession coming back. It's the optics. They don't don't look good. They don't play good. <sighs> yeah, I mean. It's an absurd amount of money, right? I basically think that, that this is as much as anyone should ever earn and any amount of money greater than this is should just all be complete tax. That's, that's, that's my position. That's a Pete yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan comment. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, there's a clear, there's a fucking, fuck it. <laughs> there's a clear effort from Matt Law to like drum mm. up some anger at Levy for giving himself a pay rise. And it's just like, yeah, it's an absurd amount of money. And, and there are plenty of criticisms to have for Daniel Levy. And we've aired them on this podcast more so over the last year than i think in the previous ones um but i don't care i don't care about his, his pay rise it's like enoch don't take any money have never taken any money out of the club except for levy pays himself a very healthy salary mm. and that just doesn't bother me that much right he's earning in line roughly with sesson um who who does more for the club 
Daniel Levy or Ryan Sessegnon, buddy. <laughs> Daniel Levy, clearly. Mm. But then also Levy has the capacity when he makes mistakes to do more harm than yeah. Sessegnon well, does, right? Sessegnon can be pretty bad in moments. <laughs> that's that's harsh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I just, um, I'd rather criticise his decisions than get too upset. Like mm. we're not, we're not so strapped for cash that he can't give himself a a tiny little bump, more money than I'll ever see in my life. Um, all right, I'm gonna read. Um, I'm gonna read the official tweet from Spurs. Mm-hmm. So we can confirm that an individual was arrested for use of homophobic language. This is at the game. Um, there is no place for discrimination at Tottenham Hotspur. So this is this is a quote tweet, which, by the way, in of itself, quote tweeting um, some random Spurs fan with 700 followers on this topic is kind of putting them at risk of, of abuse. So that was a bit of a, yeah. a bold decision to go for a quote tweet there. But sorry, getting off topic, this is about presumably the Rent Boys chant being sung at the at the game. Um, so for those who don't know, there is a chant sung about Chelsea by multiple teams, including Spurs, about them being Rent Boys. I think that... Um, I think that there has been a lot of confusion about where this term comes from, where this chant comes from, and how it does and doesn't relate to Chelsea's sort of financial history with previously Abramovich and now um, the financial group headed up by Todd Bowley. But at its heart, a rent boy is um, a male prostitute, and the the term is being used homophobically. So this is a this is a homophobic chant, and we've explained that a couple of times in this podcast before. Statements have been put out from Spurs, uh, proud League Whites try to be as vocal as they reasonably can about this. So the opportunity to remain ignorant on the fact that it is a homophobic chant, I think, is is dwindling. But if you if you didn't know, you know now from listening to this, right? Um, I don't know. I just um, personally, I don't want to see people getting arrested for this. Right. I I hate this chant. I hate that this chant exists. I think we as a club needs to move on from it. Um, being arrested, I think, is uh, is pretty severe. How do you feel, buddy? Yeah. I, well, the thing is, I was going to say that this is the least I've ever heard it at a Chelsea game. Okay. I never heard it around me. The, the section of the crowd where I was, there's there's um there's a group at the top that starts songs and bang on the walls and try to get atmosphere going. Nothing came from their side. So I was quite surprised when I saw this. I totally okay. agree with you Spurs threw this guy under the bus by quote retweeting him because you can imagine, I can just imagine some of the comments he's going to get. But I, I agree, it shouldn't be sung. Spurs made a clear stance before the game that it, what they thought about it, they got somebody on from... Um, um, supports trust got on to talk about it and I just think we have to move away from it and for the most part Spurs did and I didn't hear it and uh, that's all I could say on, on, on that and I think if it's just the one it seems to be a really isolated incident if one person's been arrested because I didn't I haven't seen any other comments on it I think I think they'll um, I think I saw in the Discord someone mentioning them hearing it it was sort of lightly amongst like underneath all the chants about Chelsea getting battered everywhere they go there was also some some Rent Boys chants okay um, I mean, I I definitely used to hear it semi regularly, mm. um, like when I was going to games. So if you say it's dying out, I mean, I've barely been to games, right? If you're saying it's it's dying out, I'm I'm very glad to hear that it's dying out. Um, I guess that means that it becomes easier to single out individuals yeah, for sure. I also think hmm. there's been a, a a step forward as well with the the West Ham chant as well. Some of the okay. terms we used to refer to them weren't used either. So I think there has been there has been a lot of movement on certain on certain chants. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, from yeah, from what I heard, it, it was very rarely it wasn't really used at all this weekend. The other thing with this, right? And um, this is this is a whole can of worms, right? The other thing with this is Spurs tweet out: "There's no place for discrimination at Tottenham Hotspur." We continue to employ Lucas Mora, who um, has openly supported a a homophobic, transphobic, um, fascist um, former president now of Brazil. He also has directly liked a bunch of transphobic tweets in the past. How do we <laughs> do it? <laughs> Fucking hell. Like, how, how do we tweet out saying there's no place for discrimination at Tottenham Hotspur? from the official account, whilst also continuing to employ Lucas Moura. 
the the entire sport of football is just one big hypocrisy. It's it happens yeah. across. You've got Sky Sky crying that there's going to be a breakaway league formed, but then you've got Sky trumpeting the the arrival of of different regimes to sports wash some of the biggest clubs in the country. Yeah, you've got certain fans. This, you got you got fans who are pro things, and then all of a sudden they're like, no, our, our club stands for something else, and then switching to, totally when it's when it's their club. If football is is hypocritic for, all the way to its core, and I sometimes I just think we either have to accept it or just move away from it. It's it's really complicated because you're right. Spurs put out these put out the videos and the tweets about do about standing up to homophobia, and then you're right. They they employ Lucas Moore, who's who's posting and liking all kinds of stuff. I don't know. I don't know when we start. Do we take Twitter away? Do we take social media away from players? Is that what we want? We want them just to be to be robots, but then we don't want them to have. We don't. We, do we want them to have personality? But then we don't want them to have mm. too much kind of. <laughs> Not that personality. Not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then, who are we to judge? What like are yeah. we? Yeah, are we now mind controlling all our players? You sign for Spurs, all of a sudden you can't have any other opinion. It's weird, man. Um, sometimes I I just think like in the kind of terms of don't come to football looking for happiness sometimes you can't come to football looking for looking for things to be just and and all the social issues to be addressed it's, it's we did the whole weekend of of green football carbon neutral football and then you've got liverpool flying on planes to to play newcastle yeah. it's just yeah. like come on man yeah i mean there's a whole lot more conversation to be had about lucas that we've had in the past about his own um his own context his own upbringing mm. um the the religious aspect um in terms of like how much can we realistically expect from footballers how much is it right for us to to dictate to them what are good and bad opinions to hold uh for me fundamentally without wanting to have a whole big long you know hour-long podcast special is like i think it's okay for us to set standards mm. that we want to have from the players who are representing us at a football club and Personally, Lucas Moore doesn't meet my standards. I don't believe that he should meet the standards that Spurs themselves should set. Um, but then you got a question like, do you? What do you then do with Lucas Moore? Because, but I guess before he arrived, maybe do we do a psychological profile? Because, or is it it's only becomes clear once he's at the club, and then we give him a, yeah. an official warning? Look, Lucas, you can't do this. Stop doing that. Otherwise, we will tear up your contract. I mean, there are all kinds of um, like limitations. Um, and shortcomings were doing that, but at least that would be something. Mm. At least that would be, there would be something. But so far, there has been no acknowledgement, no, no commentary, no change, um, on, on the stuff that he has sort of, I mean, I was going to use the word putting out and maybe you say, well, him liking a tweet isn't putting it out, but it's still it's available. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, when you like something, you, you are given, you're approving it basically. No. Yeah. All right. I don't want to, I don't want to spend ages dwelling on this right now, to be honest. Um, let's at least wait for Wendy to be back. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, let's end talking about back on the pitch. Emerson Royale. Uh, six tackles, six for seven on tackles in this game, commanded his flank, playing this inverted wing-back role, um, by all means keeping Pedro Poirot out of the team. What do you what do you make of this? He was sensational in his own half. He was he yeah. put in a defensive performance which was incredible. I felt confident every time he got square every time it was who was it? Who was up against him? Ziyech, Chilwell, or whoever it was that went up against him. I felt confident in his ability. I thought he was I thought he was excellent in our own half. But then there were moments when we were on the counter-attack and he was involved in play going the other way and that's when you saw his limitations. It's really strange at the moment that he can be so good on one side of the pitch but then just kind of average the other way. Yeah, and it's, mm. it's almost like we're forgiving his failings at the moment going forward because he's, he's being a brilliant defender. It's almost like Aurier was excellent in the opposition half but terrible in his own half. Mm. And I think... Yeah, I think Aurier gets remembered more for his for his defensive blunders rather than like the eight or nine assists he pulled off one season. I think Emerson's doing really good. Um, I do think Poro is obviously the future though. I mean, I sort of feel I'm not entirely in agreement with you there because I think that Royale has really improves on the ball in possession. I think um, especially playing more inside, more like a central midfielder, potentially helping out our ability to control midfield. And, and maybe that goes some way to explain some stuff, right? Mm. Our ability to contest the second balls if he's tucked in like that. Um, but like his neat little interplay in those areas has really improved. And therefore we're seeing him 
um, you know, expected to put crosses in from out wide a lot less often because that's where Kuliszewski is instead. We're also seeing less of him um, under pressure in build-up play over on the touchline um, because that was always a horrendous position for him. And I wonder how much or how little we've seen him in, of him in those positions is down to the opposition and the context that he's played in uh, and how much of that is a permanent switch from him ever being expected to do anything there because if we have successfully removed him from from that situation i think that he's a much improved player basically a couple of weeks ago against uh, the city game he was man of the match or whatever and i said look this is really good for him, but we sort of knew he had this defensive game in him. Mm. He hasn't really improved as a player. Now I kind of feel like he's improving as a player. I feel like he's obviously full of confidence. He's doing his no-look passes, his round-the-corners, back heels, all his Brazilian flair, um, which is lovely. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss. You're, you've become something I never thought I would call you. Become a royalist. You are <laughs> you're fully in on Emerson. I'm I'm not. I really enjoyed his defensive display, but I really thought he lacked something going forward. Yeah, I'm I'm still yet to be totally um totally won over by him. Well, I think that um when Poro is settled in, gets his start, and then he starts combining with Kulusevski, and you've got two threats mm. over on that right touchline, and you can't give either of them any space, and they they get to know each other's game. Then, then maybe uh, any any positive thoughts about Emerson Royale get get put to rest. Okay, but I then also think like if Conte goes in the summer and you're looking to rebuild the squad and a manager comes in who maybe wants to move to a back four, that 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 Royale remains a really useful squad option. So uh, let's let's cross that bridge when we come to it. You have been listening to the Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate Clark. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash the Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Creighton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, who we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 